Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is a time bomb. We must democratize democracy. What are we waiting for? These are the closing words of David Van Raybrook's book Against Elections, The Case for Democracy, which has gained international attention since it was published in the wake of the Brexit vote. The book diagnoses the current crisis in international politics, described by Van Raybrook as democratic fatigue syndrome. But it goes further by also proposing a novel solution, using lotteries rather than elections to appoint people to public office as part of a broader scheme of citizens' assemblies. If Brexit was a wake-up call to democracy, what about Donald Trump? Van Raybrook spoke to us from his home in Belgium about the US presidential election result. And I started by asking him whether he saw it as a particularly dangerous manifestation of democratic fatigue syndrome. Well, democratic fatigue syndrome is, is, is like a, a range of, of symptoms we see in most Western democracies now. And it goes from less and less people being member of a political party and less and less people going to vote, uh, more and more people shopping between different parties, etc. And uh, the rise of populism is also one of these one of these uh, symptoms. So yes, quite quite certainly, the, the the triumph of Donald Trump at the U.S. elections last week is part of that overall uh, fatigue that Western democracy is suffering from. Mm-hmm. And I mean, in the book, you propose quite a radical solution. I, I, I suppose, having diagnosed the problem, you look back at the history of democracy and question the dependence on electoral democracy. You might explain that because a lot of people will think elections are the essential ingredient of democracy. Well, if, if, if readers of my book would, would go home with the one message that democracy is not necessarily the same as holding elections, I am already very happy. And it's, uh, I mean, if you look at it in historical perspective, it is quite easy. We have been trying to do democracy for the past 3,000 years. We've only been using elections in that system for the past 200 years. So we should stop thinking that democracy always boils down to to having elections. Uh, and, and what was there before? I mean, the election basically came at the end of the of the American and the French Revolution at the end of the 18th century. But the procedure that was used before in democracy was uh, for many, many, many centuries was the use of lottery. Sounds a bit strange to our ears. But the entire idea was that if you're talking about a representation of the people, the best uh, sample, the most representative sample of a population is a random sample. And this is what happened in ancient Greece. This happened in city-states of Renaissance Italy. It happened all over the place in different cities in Europe. Uh, Parliaments were basically made by drafting people by lot, believing that a cross-section of society was quite apt at talking about that society and for that society rather than those who have been elected. And interestingly, in, in English and in many languages, the word elections and elite have the same etymological root. 
And basically, the elite is what you get when you organize elections. Mm -hmm. So there are different forms of doing democracy. Yeah, and you make a very interesting argument around how democracy changed in the the recent um, centuries that is it is it your argument that democracy took a wrong turn that it it moved away from lotteries away from random selection the involvement of citizens in government and channeled its uh, focus purely on on parliament that, that and that that was a mistake yeah. and maybe a mis- not so much a mistake for the elites it was a very deliberate thing that they uh, brought about yeah well, I can understand if you are an American revolutionary in at the time of the American Revolution or a French revolutionary, okay, now you, you, you do away with, with the, the British king or the, the, the French king, and the question is, what's next? How are we going to organize this society without, without a monarchy? And I was always told at school, and I, I grew up on the Flemish countryside, I was always told that the American and French revolutions, that they did away with aristocracy to make democracy possible thanks to elections. Now, if you look at it in detail, it was very, very different. The French and American revolutions did not do away with aristocracy as such, but one particular type, and that was hereditary aristocracy, namely Mm -hmm. people having power because they had a castle. And they replaced it by a new form of aristocracy uh, of people that had been voted. So elections were really consciously injected into these countries in order to create a new aristocracy. Thomas Jefferson called it uh, the natural aristocracy of the nation. He meant people who have a degree uh, or who have money. And so the idea that uh, organizing elections was there uh, to stop aristocracy as a very wrong one. It was an aristocratic procedure from the start, these elections. And the only thing uh, we see, and that is quite interesting, what we've seen in the 19th and 20th centuries are attempts at democratizing elections, attempts at the democratizing this aristocratic procedure of elections by giving more and more people the right to vote. Mm-hmm. And this is fine. Uh, Ending the right to vote to many people was obviously a great step forward. But what we see now in the 21st century is that uh, an increasing number of people have the right to vote and they still don't feel heard. And so, therefore, we should be looking at new ways of continuing to democratize democracy. Mm -hmm. I I mean, one of those ways that you highlighted and there's other advocates here in Ireland and around the world is is deliberative democracy or participatory democracy. Um, One problem or one objection that sometimes arises there is getting people and the public to accept and to trust decisions made by their peers, made by a a citizen jury, if you like, or a citizen's assembly. Um, There can be a reluctance or 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 a gap in trust there Uh, and legitimacy around those decisions. Mm, I understand that. But we have, we we use juries. We have them in Belgium as well when it comes to a court trial. And there, very, very, very rarely, the verdict given by a jury is distrusted by the rest of society because the rest of society seems to think that the 12 uh, lay judges have done a good job in representing the view of society when it comes to judging somebody who has been uh, found criminal. Mm. Uh, I think the same basically holds true uh, when it comes to to lay people, lay juries, citizen juries making policy decisions. But I understand that people feel frustrated, that outsiders might feel frustrated. 
And the Irish case is a very interesting one now because everywhere else people feel frustrated because it was a one-off thing. Like, hey, I, I wasn't I wasn't drafted in. I was left behind. So how? Why would I trust what uh, those 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 lucky ones are going to decide for me? But what we see now in Ireland, it's, and this is the very first country who is doing this, uh, Ireland is having now a second form of uh, deliberative democracy. Uh, two years ago. You had the Irish Constitutional Convention with 66 people drafted by lot. And now you have the Irish uh, Citizens' Assembly that started only a few weeks ago. Uh, two is still not a lot. But you see that if you, you, if you use this procedure of random sampling more and more often, uh, more and more people will get involved. And it will be more easy to accept that uh, a subset of the population can make a sensible decision for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting you made a point as well in the book that um, you feel that sort of participatory democracy, these sort of experiments are uh, best kind of trialled in, in Europe. You sort of feel Europe is ready for these European countries. I'm, I'm curious, do you feel it could be used even beyond national borders? Could it be used to reinvigorate the European Union in terms of involving citizens? I'm very struck by the, the proverb that you quote in the book, the African proverb, what you do for me, but without me, you do to me. This notion that decisions that are made without yeah. Uh, you, you know, yeah. the public's involvement uh, creates this alienation, yeah. which lies at the heart of a lot of the European uh, malaise. Well, yeah, that African proverb seems quite appropriate when, when you come to think about the European Union. Everything, everything you have done for me, against me, uh, everything you have done for me, without me, you have done against me. Now, that is pretty much what the European mm-hmm. Union does to, to most of us. Mm-hmm. I think, indeed, uh, the Irish experiments that are going on now are very important, and I think it, it would be quite easy to, to upscale them to the European level. Uh, funnily enough, yesterday I finished an article on, on, on that subject. I really fear, I deeply fear for the future of the European Union. If Marine Le Pen in France and Geert Wilders in the Netherlands win the, their elections next year, uh, next spring, uh, both will call for a, an EU referendum comparable to the one we've seen in the UK, and both might win that referendum, and that would be the end of the European Union, I think. Mm-hmm. So I think it is urgent uh, that I don't have anything about change in the European Union. I'm, I'm, I'm very critical of that organization myself as well. But being without the European Union seems to me much more problematic. And I think an interesting way to let citizens have their say, apart from elections and apart from referendums, that whatever populists tell you, it is not because you're allowed to tick a box next to a yes or a no that your voice has been heard. I think there are much better ways of letting citizens speak. And I think, indeed, that uh, like if, if the European Union would draft by lot 100 citizens in every European member state to ask them to come up with a top five or top ten priorities for how are we going to democratize this union, you would get a very, very different dynamic than you would get now with just elections and referendums, which are, in my view, views very primitive and arcane instruments for letting people speak. And in terms of using lotteries specifically, I mean, how far do you think that's merited? I mean, would it be merited, for instance, to elect a president or prime minister by lottery? No, I would never do that. That, that, that seems crazy. When it comes to the executive branch of government, you need people who are really competent and who have a technical expertise. Um, what I'm, every democracy is seen as consisting of three pillars. You have the legislative, the executive and the judiciary. 
Well, we have lottery used in the judiciary right now. I'm only claiming that we should use some of that in the legislative branch as well. When it comes to appointing ministers, I wouldn't change anything in the next couple of decades. I can imagine that perhaps in 20 years we'll say, well, well, we'll draft by lot 50 citizens from the Irish Republic, and they will determine who should become Minister of Defence in Ireland, and because they will be like like a, like a an appointment commission with with any with any job interview, uh, that could be a possibility. But I would be very fearful of a uh, of a democracy that would just draft by vote its Minister of Defence or its Prime Minister. That doesn't seem like a very reasonable idea to me. Mm. Um, and Donald Trump's victory doesn't change your opinion of that. I mean, some people might say if you withdrew an American at random from the American population, you may come up with a better uh, American president. Well, I'm much less afraid of a, a European, of an American population that is allowed to speak than an American population that is just allowed to vote. If people are only allowed to vote, they will behave as voting dairy, as they think, or voting cattle. But if people are allowed to speak, that is, the moment you tr- start to treat people as adults who are responsible, they start behaving as responsible adults. So um, I would much rather see the American people speak than the American people vote. And finally, I mean, this is more a predictive question. I mean, no one knows how things are going to play out. But how do you think things are going to evolve for democracy? I mean, the Brexit, uh, Donald Trump's victory kind of highlight these really um, fault lines within electoral democracy. I mean, could it, you know, is the crisis going to get worse, do you feel? Or is this maybe the impetus or the or or some sort of momentous moment that really we can start revolutionising and changing democracy now? I think we stand at a crossroads. We have good instruments, great instruments to improve democracy. Democracy has to evolve from a state of government in which people have the right to vote to a form of government in which the people have the right to speak. That is the big transition we have to make now. But we might be too late because other forces are at work, and I'm really heavily worried. If we are are not going to update democracy to the 21st century by sticking to procedures from the late 18th century, it might be the very end of democracy for a very long time to come. I'm I'm really quite negative. We are running our democracies on MS-DOS, the primitive software. And we we think that this is the only available software. Now, if you refuse to update that software, uh, a profound system crash lays ahead of us in the very near future. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.